We have been working through the Gospel of Luke for two years. I don't know. So we take breaks. I don't know. So, uh, but uh, so we've been we've been going through there. So uh, through it, and uh, we uh, and by God's um, kindness, uh, as I've just prayed, uh, He has for us to meditate upon today the passage pertaining to the resurrection of Christ in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. I'll be uh, bringing the text up on the screen. You can find it in the Pew Bible there on page 884. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and, all, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So when we talk about the sufferings of Christ, oftentimes we'll talk about the passion narrative. And the passion narrative concludes with the crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus. And that's where we, uh, we stopped, where Jesus' body was laid to rest in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It's important here at this moment to understand the, the uncertainty and the chaos for, for the followers of Jesus in this moment. The men and women who, were, who followed Jesus didn't understand what was going on. They didn't know why what had happened had happened. This was the furthest thing from their mind. Then, and they certainly didn't know that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. All they knew was that their rabbi, their leader, their friend had been killed. And even the ones who were certain that Jesus was the Messiah were perplexed and disturbed because as far as they knew, Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't get crucified by the Romans. Messiahs conquer. And so what do we do now? There are moments in the lives of individual believers, in the lives of the church, where darkness, chaos, and confusion reign. They threaten to take over. We're experiencing one of those moments right now in the life of our church. How do we respond to such things? What do we do with all our sorrow 
and our grief. As Christians, we don't merely hope for better days, although we long for them. We are called as Christians to look to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is himself our hope, the foundation of our hope, the certainty and assurance of our hope. And here in this text, we have the foundational doctrine that has the power to conquer all our fears, to comfort our sorrows, and enliven our weak and weary hopes. It is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the attending truthful testimony to it. We'll look at each of those this morning. First, in verses 1 through 9, we are presented with, by Luke, the reality of the resurrection. And we begin with what the women found and what they didn't. In verses 1 through 5, Luke tells us that the women who had prepared the spices and ointment to anoint and embalm Jesus' body had gone to the tomb and found the large disc-shaped stone rolled away, which was no small feat. The thing is huge. Now, not every, every, um, every uh, one who dies would get the anointing spice and an ointment treatment, but Jesus, of course, was beloved. And in what turned out to be a marvelous disappointment, the women looked inside and found that Jesus' body was gone. What was more odd was, as, as Peter reveals to us the, uh, later, that the linen cloths that he, Jesus had been wrapped in, those were there, but his body was not. And so they were puzzled at what they didn't find, and then moments later shocked by what they did find, two angels standing before them in dazzling garments. The women naturally dropped to the ground in reverence for the holiness of the Lord. And what did the angels say to them? They asked the women why they were looking for the living among the dead. Why do you go for to go find why, why are you looking for a living person in a cemetery? They're being asked. He is not here. He is risen. Those words from the angels form the basis of Christian hope. Paul said that without those words and, that, and the reality behind them, without the resurrection of Christ and all of this, all of our faith, all that we're doing this morning is for nothing. All the sacrifices, nothing. But... Because they are real, because the resurrection is true, because the words of the angels are full and powerful, then the resurrection is everything, and our hope is certain. After Wednesday, I couldn't even remember what text I was preaching this morning. And, but I went down and I opened up my Bible software and I was reading and I was reading those words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. And tomorrow, when we gather to honor and celebrate Dan's life, we need to remember that great truth. 
Dan's body will be here, but he is not. He is risen with Christ. He is not there because Christ is not in the tomb. Because he is with Jesus. This is the precious truth that we hold not only for Dan, but for each of our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on before us. Their bodies remain, but they are not here because he is not here. They are risen with him. And one day, their bodies will rise, as will ours, in the great resurrection on the final day. But the resurrection always brings up the question of miracles. There remains today vast unbelief concerning the resurrection of Jesus. There are many folks who attempt and uh, still attempt to explain away the fact of Jesus' resurrection. The women and the disciples, they say, went to the wrong tomb. The the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Uh, Jesus never really died. He only seemed to die and and somehow escaped, like Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible film, out of the tomb. But all of these attempts stem from a single assumption that the resurrection is simply impossible. And to that, the Christian church says, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yes, we know it's impossible. That's why it's special. In human experience, our scientific understanding of the human body and how it works, we know that dead people don't come back to life. The resurrection, humanly speaking, is truly impossible. But what if someone greater than us? What if someone who, in fact, was the one who made the world, who sustains the world, and thus has abilities beyond this world, determined to do it? Well, then not only could he, but if he desired, he would. For no one would stop him. How could they? We would call it beyond the natural, supernatural, inexplicable in natural terms. In other words, a miracle. One scholar wrote this about this, uh, this refusal to believe. He's, he, wrote, he writes, quote, if, if one refuses to believe in even the possibility of miraculous occurrences altogether, then the re- resurrection, of course, will seem to be an absurdity. But large numbers of modern scientific folks recognize that science itself is merely descriptive rather than prescriptive. If a God exists, it's only natural to expect him to have powers beyond that which science has discovered or can explain, or to be able to use them for his purposes. It is arguable that of all the alleged miracles in ancient history, the resurrection is actually the one with far and away the most historical support. End quote. But when people come with a precondition that miracles cannot happen, then all they're left with is the absurd theories that seek to explain away the fact of the resurrection. Now, this is not to say there's no mystery behind the resurrection of, uh, you know, know, trying to explain the metaphysical realities 
of, of, of Christ's resurrection are beyond us. Matthew Henry, the great uh, commentator, he, he wrote that the manner of the reuniting of Christ's soul and body is, in his resurrection is a mystery. It's one of the secret things that does not belong to us. But, he says, the infallible proofs of his resurrection, that he did indeed rise from the dead and was thereby proved to be the Son of God, are things revealed which belong to us and our children. So with this question of miracles that we understand, it is miraculous. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our ability. It is something that only that which God can do. But from the scriptures to historical evidence, everything we can muster, he did it. He did it. Jesus is alive. And the angels call upon the women to remember, call upon us to remember what Jesus said. The angels instructed the women in verses 6 through 9 to recall what they had heard from Jesus way back when he was up north. They, uh, they were up north in Galilee because these were the women that had been with him for, for a long time, all right, even, even his mother. Like, so they've been up with him since Galilee up in the north. And, and so, and so and in the reference to chapter 9, verse 21, 22, where, he, where Jesus said that the Son of Man, according to prophecy, must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. Until now, Jesus' followers had just chalked this up to something that was beyond their understanding. It just didn't make, didn't make a lick of sense. Until now. Until this moment. And even then, they needed instruction from the angels to get it. But let us consider that what Jesus predicted was not him simply making a, a novel prediction. Rather, Jesus himself was working from the scriptures, working from the prophets. He was working according to the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And what that means is that the resurrection of Jesus, while it was certainly a new and unexpected development, it was not arbitrary. It was not random. It was promised through the prophets and types and shadows, and then even explicitly, multiple times by Jesus himself. We must remember that the fact of the resurrection is based not upon how we feel about it. The resurrection is not true because we want it to be true. It is not a story that Christians just tell themselves because we can't handle the harshness of the world. The resurrection is true because it happened. We have no other explanation for it. It happened as promised by the prophets, as recorded in the Gospels, as confirmed in the annals and records of history itself. And here is our hope against the most terrible reality that each of us must face in this life, even death itself, that Jesus has risen. Our Savior offers us this great promise. The one who said in John 11 that it is he. He is, and alone, he is the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in Jesus shall never die. All this is true because what the angel said, 
He is not here. He is risen. And this is confirmed in verses 9 through 12 by the truthful testimony that attended his resurrection. And we're presented with a list of unusual witnesses in the ancient world. The list of women that that is given to us uh, who were at the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, presumably that is Jesus' mother, uh, and plus others. uh, And it's unusual in this sense that in the ancient world, women were not considered to be reliable sources. Now, uh, that's just how the ancient world regarded it. It's not a prescription uh, for, for the present day. Um, but, it, but, it's, uh, but, it is, but it's important because many have noted this. If Luke is simply spinning a tale that he wanted people to believe, then he would not have invented a tale that involved a bunch of women who weren't believed to be good witnesses as the primary first witnesses. Further, Luke is, you know, if he's just putting forth selective evidence, maybe the, re- the resurrection is, is, is true, but he's trying to put, he's just putting together the best case and he's playing fast and loose with the facts. Again, he would not have included the list of women if he's trying to convince the broader world. He would have omitted it. But instead, he actually is putting it down because They were the first ones at the tomb. They were the ones who saw the angels. They were the ones who heard the words from the angels. Because they, in fact, are great witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They are truthful witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And so these unusual and unlikely witnesses actually present forth greater evidence for the truthfulness of Luke's account. But when they go to report back to the disciples, we find uh, an all-too-believable unbelief amongst them. Now, if you're trying to invent a religion, would you put at the beginning of that religion its key leaders not believing it? That they were so dull and slow to believe? Would this, does this line up with any kind of ancient tales and, and, and similar things, uh, the, the, the mystery religions that arose at, at the time or the other, uh, the other uh, Greek or Roman myths during the gods? No, it's completely different. You know, C.S. Lewis, we, 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 you know, we connected with the Narnia and all this stuff like that, but he was also an expert in, in, in mythology, in ancient mythology and medieval, th- um, and medi- medieval literature. And, and, he, and it was one of the things he says about the gospel. He says, for their time period, these do not read like ancient myths. They're not written like ancient myths. That's not what these are written. These are written as historical accounts of something that happened. But the disciples didn't believe. Because the cross didn't make sense to the disciples yet. They were just trying to figure out how they could avoid being next. And if the cross was unexpected, well, certainly the resurrection made no sense to the disciples. And there are many today who respond to the resurrection this way. It just doesn't make sense to them. Maybe nice if it was true, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to them. And, and, and even if it is true, they might say, what does Jesus dying and rising from the dead have to do with me? How can that help me? What benefit is that to me? Now, if you, actually, if you're talking to somebody and they ask that question, that's a great question to ask, isn't it? But there is yet one final response to the resurrection here, and that is Peter's. And of course, Peter's going to be singled out. It's going to do something. 
But we find him wondering at the resurrection. Peter, like the others, didn't quite believe. But his curiosity was piqued. And so he runs to the tomb and looks inside. He sees it empty. He sees the linen cloths just laying there, as, 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 uh, as the women had said. And it doesn't say that Peter believed right then. It says that he went home marveling at what happened, wondering what, at, at these things, trying to make sense of them. You know, not quite belief, but wonder, because looking at the evidence, it doesn't look like a tomb robbery. And, and, if the, and, and it doesn't look like, you know, and, and if, if anybody was going to steal Jesus' body, it would have been him and the other disciples. And if they didn't steal it, and certainly the Romans didn't steal it, and the, the other Jews didn't steal it, well, then who, then who would? And if no one stole the body, then what if what the women said was true? What if he is risen? And that may be the place where someone needs to start when they're considering the faith. No matter what you believe about, uh, about Jesus, it's if, you know, it, uh, whether you believe he's the Messiah um, there are, or not, there are certain facts that you have to contend with, which is that there is still an empty tomb. Now, every once in a while, usually about every uh, 30 years or so, uh, the news will get really excited because they'll say, we have discovered potentially the place where Jesus was really buried. We finally found it. Those women couldn't find it back then, but we found it because we're smart. But then it just turns out, as they all have been, to be just secularist fantasies. The tomb is empty. It remains empty. And there is no explanation that sorts out the evidence other than exactly what the scriptures say, exactly what the angel said, exactly what the women saw and heard and reported. He is risen. And so like the women, we need to hear the instructions from the angels. We need to remember what he said. When he said he, said he would be handed over, he said he would die, he said he would be raised. We need to take seriously the ancient testimony that assures us of this great fact, perhaps the greatest fact in all of history, that Jesus is alive. He is alive not just then, but now. He is more fully alive than you or I are today. J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop, in the 1800s, the man, they, they called him the man of granite because of his theological convictions and how he held them. He wrote that the true cure for a dull memory in religion is to get a deeper love toward Christ and affections more thoroughly set on things above. And a place to start right here, right today, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of us here, for all of us here, who are mourning, who are burdened with sorrows and afflictions, not only because of Dan's passing, but because of the other things that are weighing upon us, we can start here. Here is the hope that transcends the grave. 
Here is the hope that ensures the loss, uh, that, 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 that endures the loss of all things. All those things about which the Apostle Paul said that in, in comparison to Christ, he, he considered as just rubbish, as garbage, compared to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Why? He said, so that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so let us all this morning look to Jesus, no matter where we're at. Let us not look for the living among the dead, because he is not here. He is risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we serve a Savior who doesn't live in our memories, who wasn't a great guy who did great things many years ago, but a Savior who lives now, who lives and reigns and rules today, this very moment, who hears and receives the worship of his people, who hears and receives the cries of his people, who attends to his people when we are mourning and grieving and weeping in our loss, who can, a great high priest who can sympathize with our every weakness because he knows what it is to weep at the tombs of beloved relatives. He knows what it is to have no place to lay one's head. He knows. He knows what it is to be killed and to die and to be buried in the grave. But he knows things that we don't. He knows what it is to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven. And he calls his people to be with him. And so, Lord, we pray that our hope this morning, to this afternoon, tomorrow, every day going forward would not be based upon how we feel about, uh, about our experiences, but our hope would be based upon the Son of God who is raised forevermore, who is sitting at the right hand, at your right hand, and who will never be moved until he stands to return to bring forth the kingdom of God and the great resurrection and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth when we will be united truly and perfectly forever with all of God's people. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your mercies that attend to us in our sorrows. We thank you for your strength that blesses us in our weakness. May you continue to be with your people still. In the name of Jesus, we pray because of the power of his resurrection and the grace of the Spirit. Amen.